All right, those of us remaining in here, uh, you can uh, look at that passage printed in your bulletin. We're going to be taking a look at in, uh, the prophet Isaiah again this morning, Isaiah 52 and 53. You'll see that passage printed there. You're welcome to turn there if you have a Bible as well. Um, and sort of a question I want you to hold in your mind this morning is uh, similar to some of the things we just prayed about. Uh, why is life so hard? Why is life so hard? Um, is life so hard? For you, um, does life sometimes feel harder for you than it seems like it is for others? Maybe it seems like sometimes you look at the lives of other people. It seems like they have it easy. I have these hard things to go through. Um, is it okay to admit that life is hard? I want you to sort of hold those questions this morning. Um, the four weeks leading up to Christmas are considered the season. Of Advent, and that word just means coming or arrival. It's a time for us to remember the birth of Christ and also to look forward and hope to his second coming. And in this season of Advent, it, it provides hope in the midst of the real hard things that we all experience in this life. And we've been looking at the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament these past few weeks because Isaiah gives us this vision of hope for this coming redeemer, this rescuer, Jesus. And we've seen that this Redeemer would be God with us. We've seen that um, He would come and take on flesh and, and live a real human life among us. We've seen that He would be God ruling over us. And Jesus would come as His perfect King who would rule and reign perfectly forever. And today we're going to see that He is a God who suffers for us. Our passage this morning is a somewhat famous description of the suffering of Jesus. Let me read it for us, uh, beginning in Isaiah 52. Verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, he considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. 
The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we do thank you for your word. And oh, how we need to hear from you this morning. Uh, Father, your word is living and active. It, it has purposes that it accomplishes by the working of your spirit. So we beg you to do just that in us this morning. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, we are not going to be able to, to, to cover a passage like this comprehensively this morning, so we're just going to dial in for a few moments on the main things of this passage. And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to talk about first why we need Jesus, secondly, what Jesus did, and then third, what this means. So first thing we want to look at from this passage, why we need Jesus. Okay, this is all talking about Jesus in this passage. Why did Jesus need to experience such awful suffering that Isaiah describes here? Um, Isaiah tells us that, that, that Jesus had to do this, that we need Jesus because we are lost. And you see this in verse 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Okay, so here's the image. It's a wonderful image used throughout Scripture that God is our shepherd and that we're designed to live this happy and fulfilling life together as this flock of sheep um, that go where our shepherd tells us to go, that do what our shepherd tells us to do in the way in which he tells us to do it. That's the goal. That's the image. That's the intention. Think about it this way. Maybe if uh, you're a family with multiple young children and uh, imagine after church, um, all of your young children are just in perfect agreement about when it's time to leave to exit the gym, and they do so perfectly. They listen to you. They're in agreement upon when it's time to leave. They happily put the basketballs back in the closet, and they walk out together joyfully, and then they get in the car, and they all buckle their seatbelts, and they're just so happy about whatever the lunch plans are for the day. Okay, this is the image. Sounds amazing and completely unrealistic, Right? Um, that's what we were created for, to be these sheep following our good shepherd, but that is not the reality. Um, rather than staying in God's flock, we're like sheep who have gone astray. We've walked out of that goodness, out of that security, out of that safety. We've left the flock and we are out on our own. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, they strayed from God by eating that forbidden fruit. From that moment on, this sin, this rebellion against God has affected every single one of us, every human heart. And that sin, it compels us to not stay in the flock, but to run away from God, to run away from His love, to run away from His good way of life, to question Him, to doubt Him, to write Him off, to try to handle things on our own. Um, our dog, Max, has an amazing life. Um, if you have a dog, have you read the ingredients of what they put in dog food now? Um, dog food now is amazing. Um, Max eats dog food that is made literally of salmon and sweet potatoes. This is an animal. This is, this is what he eats. 
Um, he goes to the dog spa every six weeks, and he gets his hair cut, and he gets pampered. I'm not sure what they do there, but he's there every six weeks. He gets to come home and chase squirrels in our backyard as long as he wants to chase the squirrels. Um, he gets to sleep on, on, in his choice of bed or sofa in our house. Uh, if people are around, he is usually being pet by someone. He's, he insists on them. Max lives a great life. And still, if our front door is accidentally left open, he will bolt out that front door and go racing down the street. Uh, and this was happening so much that we had to get one of those little Apple Air Tags he put on his collar because he kept running off so much. And instead of having to like literally sprint after him and try to catch him, we just track him on the phone and go pick him up with the car. Um, even though Max has this amazing life with us, there is still something inside of him that wants to run away, thinking that there is something better for him down the road. And this is every single one of us with God. And this is really important to understand, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church family. As you think about, especially if you're newer to this church, like what's it like to enter into this group of believers, to this church? Um, every single one of us in this room has this same sin problem. Uh, if left to ourselves, we are all lost sheep who go astray from God. Um, we're not just like somehow this group of people who have like a, a track record of making great choices and have just kind of like figured out how to be really good people in life. Uh, we're not the rare sheep who decided to like, you know, like we're not going to get lost. We're going to stay here and stay committed. That's not who we are. We are a group of lost sheep whom the shepherd has run after and corralled us against our will back into the pen and convinced them, us that this is actually better than getting lost. That's who we are. Um, the problem gets worse, though. We're not just lost, but it also says we try to find our own way. You see this in the second half of verse 6, that we have turned everyone to his own way. That's what happened in the garden. This is what we still do now. Uh, there's a car insurance commercial that shows this couple um, driving through a town in the mountains, and you hear the GPS voice directing this driver to, make, uh, to go a certain way, and the driver says out loud, Nope. I know these roads better than anyone else. We're going to go straight here. I'm going to get us there faster. And the commercial is, is selling car insurance uh, for those who know what roads to take is, is the tagline. This is us. We have God's voice telling us where to go. And yet we think, no. I know the better way. I'm going that way. And just think about your own life. What are the ways in which you have tried to find your own way? And even tried to find your own way out of your losses. Um, what are the specific areas of your life in which you tell God that you're fine, that you, you're good on your own, that you know the way? Um, here are just four common ways of trying to escape our losses. And just have, sometimes we just don't want to deal with the losses. And there's four common ways that one writer suggested that are, that are common categories of trying to escape our losses. One would just be entertainment. We don't know what to do with this feeling of being lost, so we just escape into entertainment and just think about all the options we have at our fingertips. Endless shows to stream, hours of video games to play, lots of screens with lots of social media apps to scroll. If we want to get out of the house, we can go to all kinds of restaurants and concerts and parties. It, it sort of is the, the entertain me so I don't have to feel lost. 
We might look to entertainment to escape that lostness. Maybe it's overwork, or we're just trying to stay busy and work our way out of feeling lost. Um, and the career obsession can be really tempting because it feels like we have some really productive tracks to run on, like we're actually getting somewhere and achieving something and doing something. So we don't just work, though, we overwork. And it, become, it can become like this drug where we just need slightly more and more in order for it to push back those feelings of being lost. But it's just this, this I'm going to work so hard so I don't feel lost mentality. It could be something like romance. Um, if we're really feeling lost, um, the embrace of another can be really appealing. If our lostness makes us feel alone and aimless and guilty, to have someone accept us and love us, that feels like being found. And that can be the heart behind the struggle with pornography or, or living in the world of casual hookups, uh, or even within a marriage. Um, the embrace of another can sort of soothe us out of our losses. It could be romance. It could be something like achievement. Similar to overwork achievement, when we are recognized and, and rewarded uh, for whatever we're doing in life, that, that can make us feel pretty grounded and not lost, like we're really, like we're really on to something. How bad can things be if I'm being given awards for what I'm doing? Uh, there could be lots of other ways uh, that we try to deal with our lostness on our own. But you can see how it only compounds the problem. If we are lost from God and from who we're supposed to be, we go looking at the things of this world we found, that makes us even more lost when those things don't deliver. You know, um, they say that if you get lost uh, in the woods or in the mountains on your own, the best thing to do is to stay put. So rescuers can come to you and find you. Uh, what typically compounds the problem is when you try to go find your way back, because you end up getting yourself into more trouble and you end up getting even more lost. We need Jesus because we're lost and we try to find our own way. What did Jesus do about it? Let's talk about the second idea of what Jesus did. Uh, recently at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Paris, there was a guest uh, staying there who lost her diamond ring which was worth more than $800,000. And, you know, the Ritz-Carlton is known for their service, just going above and beyond. So in true Ritz-Carlton fashion, the hotel um, searched everywhere for this lost ring, even to where they were emptying out the bags of all the vacuum cleaners that they used in all the rooms in the hotel. And so they're just dumping out the, 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 the bag filled with all the lint and the dirt from all the vacuuming they've done. And sure enough, at the bottom of one of those vacuum bags was the $800,000 diamond ring. They insisted that they were going to search this ring out and find it, that it wouldn't stay lost. Because God loves us, he would not let us stay lost. Um, Jesus is the good shepherd who came after his good sheep to find them. And not only did he come and find us, but the good shepherd, it says, laid down his life for the sheep. And Isaiah is describing what happened in our passage where he tells us that Jesus suffered in our place. It's described throughout the passage. It says that he, was, he, he suffered by being rejected for us. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed him not. Uh, he suffered by his, his appearance being unimpressive. Did you notice that the text talks about that? Verse 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Uh, one writer said that he had an obscure, outwardly unimpressive uh, appearance. 
Um, he suffered in his appearance being marred by all the physical torment that he went through. Verse 14, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Uh, you see this image of suffering that was being, uh, that was, that's being presented here. It's one of this appearance of being unimpressive, being marred by the physical pain, ultimately being rejected by people. Uh, back in 2007, uh, there was a world-renowned violinist, Joshua Bell, who did this experiment with the Washington Post newspaper where, uh, you know, Joshua Bell was uh, this world-renowned violin player who travels the world and plays at the best venues all over the world and gets paid very well to do that job. But instead of wearing what he would normally wear before, he dressed up as a street musician, uh, sort of in disguise, and he went to a metro station in Washington, D.C., and he played the same music that he would normally play at one of his big concerts at a big fancy venue. And he was dressed as a street performer and he had the case to his violin opened up. He just looked like a, a street musician. And he played for 45 minutes. Again, same music he would play at one of his famous concerts. And um, during the course of those 45 minutes, um, over 1,000 people walked straight past him. Seven people stopped to listen to him, to just kind of hear hear the music, one person recognized him. Um, he was doing the same thing he would normally do on the best venues in the world, making, making more money than maybe any violinist in the world to do that. And apparently that day he made in his violin, violin case uh, $32.17. Why? No one recognized his greatness. He was doing his great thing. No one had eyes to see it. And they walked straight past him. A major part of Jesus' suffering was that no one recognized his greatness. He was doing his great work right in front of their faces. And yet people passed by and even rejected him because they couldn't see him. This royal king came and suffered so much that he was marred physically, even unrecognizable. Greatness was right in front of these people and people did not see him as great. They saw him as and all this pain that it talks about that he suffered, it says he suffered in silence. Do you notice that in the text, verse 7? It says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet what? He opened not his mouth, like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Why would he do this? Uh, the key to all this suffering is that this was all for us. And you see that language throughout the passage. Surely, verse 4, he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Verse 5, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. His chastisement brought us peace, verse 5. By his wounds we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 11, the righteous of my servant will what? Make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12. And he bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. Zoom out. This is the very heart of Christianity. Um, this immediately tells us what Christianity is not. It is not us doing good things to earn our way to God. It's not us being morally perfect people. It's not us proving ourselves. It's not about being good and religious to get to God. The heart of Christianity is God coming and suffering in the place of sinful people in order to rescue them from their sin. 
and doing so because he loved his people. That's the heart of Christianity. His suffering was bad. Just prior to our passage in Isaiah 51, it talks about those in rebellion against God as drinking a cup of God's wrath. It's similar to the cup that we have there. Drinking a cup of God's wrath as a human. That's where we stand apart from Christ. What did Jesus do when he came and suffered and went to the cross? He drank the cup of God's wrath. So what did we get? We get the cup of blessing. Jesus suffered in our place as our substitute. And the text tells us that this was God's plan. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Um, when all of humanity rebelled against God, God wasn't like scrambling to come up with a backup plan to try and fix things. This plan to send his son as the rescuer was the plan from the very beginning. If you really think about that, that's very mysterious. Very, if, if there's a line and we live below the line, God's above the, that's an above the line thing. But we know that it would bring glory to him and it shows us how loving and merciful he is because he did not have to save us. It would have been just and fair of God to let us die in our sin, but he decided to show mercy. We need Jesus because we're lost, but Jesus did something about it. He came to find us and to suffer in our place. Let's think about this third heading, what this means. What this means is that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And when we put our faith in Him, when we entrust our lives to Him, there's an exchange that happens. And theologians talk about this as the great exchange. And the Apostle Paul describes it really beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear that exchange that happens? Where Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin, so that when we come to him, um, what we bring to him is our sin. Not our good deeds, not our great personality traits. We bring sin. And he takes that from us, and he pays the penalty for it on the cross. That's what we give him. What does Jesus give us? Paul says that in him, we become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, in exchange for our sin, gives us his righteousness. Now, Isaiah talks about that substitutionary language of this exchange happening, uh, and he's giving us this vision that, that the suffering servant would come and would do the thing for us that we need most, but could never or would never do for ourselves. We've talked about this before in financial terms. That's a language that, that we can all get our heads around. Um, think about it as, as the sin as a financial debt. Let's say you have $100,000 in debt, just to pick a number. That feels like a really heavy burden. And maybe you've done the math and you're, just, you're trying to figure out a payment plan. You're like, I don't think I can ever pay this off. You're, you're running the numbers. You, just, you can't figure it out. You can't figure out how to pay it off. Then you get this, this phone call from a very generous, distant relative. And they say, hey, look, heard about your debt. I'm going to pay it off. That's an amazing phone call to get, right? One we, one we would all love to get. You no longer have the debt. It's been paid. Okay, that image is how we tend to think about Christianity, about what it means to come to Jesus and be forgiven by him. Um, that he paid the debt of our sin, so our account is no longer negative, which is true. But that would mean our account is only back up to zero. 
And now we think, all right, now I can be good. Now I can be righteous and do good things and follow God and sort of like build up that account positively. Fresh start, right? Blank slate. That's not the full story. Here's the full story. That generous, distant relative not only paid off our debt, but they also loaded the bank account with unlimited funds. The account is not at zero. The debt is gone. But now we are multi-multi-billionaires. Um, Jesus not only suffers to pay our debt of sin, but he also gives his righteousness to us. That's what he puts into our account. And Isaiah is giving this vision of, the, of what would happen some 700 years later. And he's telling us that this is everything, that Jesus is going to do it all for you. Zoom in for a moment. This means that when God the Father looks at you, um, if you are someone who has given your life to Christ, it means that when God the Father looks at you, He does not look at you and see your sin, because that has been paid for in full by Jesus on the cross. But what He does see is righteousness. He sees someone who is covered in righteousness. Not your own, but Jesus' righteousness. One writer puts it this way. He says, the gospel says that God justifies the ungodly. What does that mean? It means that God declares guilty people innocent. It means that God treats bad people as if they were good people. God accepts unacceptable people. God honors shameful people. God treats ghouls and harlots with royal dignity as Jesus steps into our place at the cross and bears our real moral guilt upon himself. This means that your standing with God is secure. Why? It does not depend on you. It depends on Jesus who did it all for you. So you put your faith in What is faith? It's receiving and resting in what Jesus has done. Faith is like receiving a gift on Christmas. The gift has been purchased by someone else. All you have to do is open your arms, take that gift, open it up, look at the gift, use the gift, enjoy it. That's all you have to do. That's what faith is. You receive it. Rest all that Jesus has done. And this gives us rock, solid, secure identity in Jesus. You are now a forgiven, righteous child of God. End of story. That's what defines who you are. Here's what does not define who you are. Um, your relationship status. Single. Dating. Married. Divorced, widow. That does not define you. Um, your body does not define you. Your intellect does not define you. Your salary does not define you. Um, if you're a parent, your children's behavior does not define you. The neighborhood in which you live does not define you. Your political views don't define you. Your friendships don't define you. Uh, your hobbies don't define you. Your profession does not define you. These things do not define who you are. You do not have to ride the roller coaster when those things go well and you feel great. When they don't go well, you feel totally hopeless and despairing. You do not have to ride that roller coaster. You're defined by what Jesus has done for you. You're a forgiven, righteous child of God. Have uh, you ever left flowers in a vase and then stops watering them. Eventually they just kind of dry out and they're just sitting there in the vase and 
Um, you know, it's easy not to think twice. You just sort of like walk by, grab them, flowers are dead, dried out, so you throw them out. Um, because they're not what? They're not fresh and beautiful anymore like they were when you originally bought them. One artist in Cleveland had a different vision. Um, this British artist, uh, her name is Rebecca Louise Law, was commissioned by the Cleveland Public Library to decorate the lobby of the library um, with over 500,000 dried flowers. And you can look this up online, it's, it's a really amazing site. She and these volunteers, they, they got together, they strung all these um, dried flowers together with copper wiring, and then these um, wires were hung vertically from the ceiling in this big atrium lobby. And so it's, it's this beautiful scene of all of these you know, 500,000 dried flowers hanging vertically from the ceiling in this lobby. Um, some of the flowers were from previous displays this artist had done, but about 100,000 of these dried flowers were left over from funeral homes and grocery stores where they saw these flowers die and wither and they were just going to throw them out. Um, it's easy to look at those dried and dead flowers and think that they just need to be thrown out. But this artist made something incredibly beautiful out of them. You are not your sin. Um, you are not those lesser things that you look for identity in. Um, because if that, if that was all we were, it would be tempting to think that we are just good for nothing and that we just need to be tossed aside and thrown out. But God takes dead things and makes them into beautiful things. He brings new life that was only death before. This is why we can have real hope during the really hard things in life that we're all experiencing to some degree or another. Who are you? You are a forgiven, righteous child of God. And this is all because Jesus came to us and suffered for us. And do you see how you need this? Please see how badly you need Jesus. He is the thing that we all need. And he offers himself to you this morning. Do you see what he went through to have you back? Do you see the hope that is on offer for you? Uh, because when you, when you really believe this, you'll become the most secure person in the world. Why? Because the bad things that you experience in this life will never be so bad that they will make this good news seem untrue. No matter what happens, you'll always be secure in Christ. And even when really good things come your way, you'll be able to enjoy them for what they are, but you won't be tempted to worship them or to find your identity in them because you know that what you have in Jesus is infinitely better and infinitely more lasting. This makes you the most secure person in the world. Whatever bad or whatever good comes your way, all of this is on offer to us this morning. Uh, this is the vision of hope that Isaiah is describing. Uh, won't you cry out to Jesus in faith this Advent season? Receive and rest on what the suffering serve has done for you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you as lost ones, as lost sheep, we thank you that the good shepherd came after us. It's good news. It's good news we're quick to forget and we need to remember to remind us that even as lost sheep, frail, weak, confused, lost sheep, you've brought us back into the flock. And then even in, in that, that vulnerable state, we are so secure in you. We are forgiven. 
righteous children of God because the good shepherd went and found us and suffered and died in our place. Oh God, remind us of this goodness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.